I'm Warren Berkeley with the Laurel Heights Church of Christ in McAllen, Texas. I'm going to be with you tonight in Matthew chapter 6. I'll give you a few moments to find that passage, Matthew chapter 6. Over the last few weeks, we have had, in a sense, guest speakers. Here's what I mean. Solomon, through the scriptures in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, delivered a sermon for us. Paul, through the scriptures, in Acts chapter 17, delivered a sermon for us. And now today, Jesus Christ in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount is how we entitled this section in Matthew. And this is about what the Lord expects of those who are under his authority, citizens of his kingdom. This morning, I unpack two parts of this, that kingdom citizenship is first and always internal. Blessed are the pure in heart, one's initial response to Christ and one's continued response to Christ must be from the inside. Then, as the pure heart produces daily obedience, our light shines before men, urging them to glorify God through their response to the gospel and faithful citizenship in the kingdom. Tonight, there are two other kingdom principles I want to highlight. Two other kingdom principles I want to highlight. Number one, kingdom citizenship is invested in heavenly treasure. Let me say that again. Kingdom citizenship is invested in heavenly treasure. The passage I'm reading now is Matthew 6, beginning at verse 19 over through verse 34. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory 
was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, be not anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. In our modern world, what do you think of when I use the word invest or investments, saving, retirement, 401ks? While the Bible certainly speaks to the matter of responsibility and stewardship about material things, that's not the kind of investing Jesus speaks about in this passage. Just lock into that phrase in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where is your treasure? I'm not talking about monetary assets, net worth, holdings, savings, retirement accounts. What do you treasure above all the things of this world? What are you investing in from day to day? As it pertains to your real purpose now and your destiny after death, what are you investing in? The concern is, the typical lifestyle is, to make this world's goods primary. And so any activity or response to God is secondary. You can see this and hear this all around. It may sound like this. I've got my career to think about. I've got a family to feed and bills to pay and retirement accounts to keep funded. I can attend church service once a week or listen to a live stream or read some scripture every now and then, and pray when I'm in trouble. But right now, in this life, this earthly reality, I have things to do and people to see and children to raise and bills to pay and cars and houses to maintain. Have you heard anything like that or thought anything like that? The sum of this is investing primarily in this world while consideration of God and eternity is only if there's time left over. Is your treasure here on earth? Are you putting all your eggs in the earthly basket? There is this expression common in sermons and Bible classes, worldliness. I believe we may tend to think that worldliness is a very limited thing that worldliness is a word that includes only a limited number of bad things we need to avoid, drinking, sexual immorality, various other habits that are certainly destructive. But in the Bible, worldliness is not just a list of a few types of sin. It is really a mindset, a purpose that invests in this world and puts God on the back shelf if there's time. Worldliness is the downfall of many 
who do not drink and do not engage in sexual immorality. It is putting yourself in this present existence at the very top, number one, so that your real treasure and your heart is here. It's not there. In this passage we've read, Jesus says nothing about drinking or sexual immorality, while those things certainly uh, have attention in other parts of Scripture and cannot be recommended. In this passage, Jesus is concerned with where your treasure is. What are you investing your life in? He says, you can't work for two different masters. He says, if you have your eye fixed on this world and not God, how great is the darkness in you? He says, why are you so obsessively worried about the things of this world? He says, seek first the kingdom of God. When Christ says in some of the older translations, take no thought for your life, he is not discouraging us to look ahead and be wise and make provision for the future. No, he is warning us against that excessive, obsessive worry about things that betrays our lack of trust in God and distracts us from full service as faithful citizens in the kingdom. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Freely give us all things. Do you believe God is generous? Do you believe God takes care of his people? This goes to trust, doesn't it? Take care of yourself and your family in the best way you're able. Be responsible, but not with such anxiety that your heart treasures this world more than the next. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I have another point about the Sermon on the Mount. Kingdom citizenship is inquisitive. Kingdom citizenship is inquisitive. I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 7, another part of the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to be reading now from verse 15 to verse 23 in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Now, remember what he said at the beginning, beware of false prophets. Then he says, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then 
will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We are familiar with caution, care, avoiding hazards. In every realm of our earthly existence, there is this ever-present need to be cautious. Safety has been a watchword in our recent lives with repeated warnings about our health and the health of others. Take precautions. How many times have we heard that lately? Social distance, protective mask, a variety of related disciplines and precautions to avoid the spread of the disease. Whatever opinions may be offered, the principle of safety and protection is widely acknowledged. In another realm, you will be out on the road and there will be flashing signs about some hazard, slow down, warning. We have weather alerts, warnings about financial scams. In all of this, there is the idea of being aware, looking around, being concerned about what might be harmful or dangerous or even deadly. But when it comes to religion, religious teaching, claims by men or women who boast that they are prophets, there's not the same level of caution in our world. In fact, in the modern religious world, there is a popular concept of tolerance. Believe whatever you want to believe. Engage in whatever kind of worship you like. Let every man or woman do what is right in their own eyes. Listen to Jesus. Beware of false prophets. Don't be naive. Be inquisitive. Cautious. Open your Bible and see if what men say is true. On social media and the internet, what would happen to your mind and your life if you believed and acted on everything your computer pointed to? Well, we know that wouldn't be wise. We ought to be people who demand evidence, who want sources that are worthy of trust. Is this right or is it wrong? Wisdom requires that we be inquisitive. And that's what this is about here, where Jesus says, Beware of false prophets. When the Apostle Paul and his co-worker Silas came to a place called Berea, what happened? I'm in Acts 17, and I'm at verse 11. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They were inquisitive in a positive way, asking, searching, is this really true? Before I embrace it, I need to know, is this from God? In 1 John 4 and verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. 1 Thessalonians 5.21, test everything. 2 Peter chapter 3, there will be false prophets. See, God expects us to be inquisitive, discerning, beware of false prophets. And Jesus teaches here in Matthew 7 that this discerning will require some effort. False teachers do not wear labels. 
They are not marketed as false teachers. They do not come in and announce that they are. They are like wolves in disguise. You shall know them by their fruits. Recommends that we take what they're doing and saying and that we be inquisitive and discerning. You'll have to have a Bible for this. You'll have to use your Bible. See, even if what a man says sounds good, make sure it's true. Make sure it's from God. Even if you know the man and you like the man, check what he says. Open your Bible. And that includes me. Don't believe anything I preach unless it is in the Word of God. So, let's bring these two sermons to a conclusion. There is a lot of talk these past few weeks about extra time stuck in your home. You may see references to people being bored, not knowing what to do, maybe on social media people talking about doing more reading. May I highly recommend a reading this week of the Sermon on the Mount, perhaps once a day for five days. At average reading speed, it takes about 15 or 20 minutes. Now, don't do this just to mark off an accomplishment. Do this to be nourished by the words of Christ. Do this to review your obligations as a citizen in his kingdom. On one of these days, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7 out loud. If you're in a family, read it aloud with prayer and discussion. What are you after? Be nourished by the word. Better prepared to serve, to worship, to spread the gospel, to be aware of false prophets. And finally, do you think there will ever be a time in your life when there is a storm? Do you think there will ever be a storm in your life? How will you hold up during that storm? I want you to listen to this. That is the close to the Sermon on the Mount. I'm in Matthew 7 again. I'm continuing at verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Jesus did not promise that there will be no storms in life. He doesn't say here or anywhere in Scripture that once you become a citizen of the kingdom, everything will be smooth here on earth, no trials, no hardships, no illness. What he says is, hearing my words and then doing my words strengthens you against the trials, the hardships, the storms. So again, my challenge to you is take the time this week to read the Sermon on the Mount slowly, repeatedly, 
and with a view toward who you are. What changes you need to make in your life to be strong and faithful to the Savior. Thank you for listening.